Guess what? You looked at me and cried, audience. This is someone inside of you. <laughs> I am your professor, David Kirkville, here on Brave New Radio, 88.7, the only campus radio station of William Patterson, the university in scenic way, New Jersey. And we are listening to Music Biz 101 and more. We're listening to the beautiful, sweet, smooth jazz sounds of Rob Fusari. This is a song he wrote with Lady Gaga. And I am here tonight um, with my good friend, the professor, with my good friend, the professor, Aaron Van Dynamite. Say hi, Aaron. There we go. Aaron Van Dynamite is on. Thank you for being here. Steve Marconi still on assignment. Uh, we're hoping to have him back by 2019, 2020. So Aaron is filling in. And it's great. We gave Aaron a big contract. He's getting paid a lot more than Marconi. So hopefully Marconi's okay with that. He's listed in, and he's going to send a text or two every once in a while. So big thanks to Rob Fusari for playing this song for us for Aaron Van Dyne. We want to also give some love immediately to Ashley Weltner, producer, engineer, student of the year. Ashley Weltner, Ashley Weltner, Ashley Weltner. She won't clap for herself. That is modest. That is modest. Good to have you, Ashley. Oh, it is good to be here, Ashley. Okay. And so uh, we have our guest, Del Ferrano, the founder of Epic Rights, is going to call in in just a moment or two. But a few quick notes. Make sure you visit us on the web, musicbiz101wp.com. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter. You can also follow us on the Instagram, the Twitter, the Fist, the book, at musicbiz101wp. And you can always listen to our podcasts on SoundCloud and the iTunes app. Don't forget, if you are listening live, big, big, big show happening here at William Patterson University. Friday night, 7.30 in the p.m. time. It's called Collage. It is a musical snapshot of the best of the best of William Patterson University's music department. Big fundraiser for scholarships. We're looking forward to that. Three weeks after that, I Want My 80s, the best of MTV's early years. That's another big music department fundraiser here on campus. Featuring who you're listening to now, Rob Fusari is the musical director. We also have Mark Goodman from Original MTV DJ, and we have Daryl D Run BMC McDaniels, who's going to be doing a few songs with the band. It's going to be very awesome. We want to give some thanks real quick to the Music Biz Association. You better, you better, you better save the date for May 15th through 18th, the year of our Lord 2017, when Music Biz goes to Music Biz in the Music City, and we will be there with a group of students. That's called Students Interviewing Music Industry Crows, Making Connections. We want to thank our professor, Aaron Van Dyne. Thank you, Aaron Van Dyne, because he and his management company, Van Dyne Bruno Inc., so far, 
with, they have uh, been kind enough to help fund our excursion out to Nashville. Because you see, with artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, uh, the Dot Kings, Kiss, Slither Kinney, St. Vincent, there's only one place to go for your band's business management, and that is Band on Link. Go to bb-cpa.com. That's a good time for you. And then we also want to thank Christine Bay, Wealth Manager and President of Bay Wealth Management. Christine has helped many of our professionals at William Patterson manage our investments and plan out their retirement. If you, he turns you sorry down. Well, anyway, so Christine manages investments, helps you plan for your retirement. She helps Steve Marconi plan for his retirement. And Aaron Van Dyes does Steve Marconi's taxes. So it's Steve Marconi night here. If you need wealth management, if you need retirement planning, give Christine a call at 732. Aaron, say 732. 732. 455. 435. 455. 455. Oh, 455. I said 55. Now they're so all going to be dialing But can you hear anything we're saying now, Dr. Marconi? Marconi's saying he can't hear anything that we're saying. So we're getting the texts. So the good thing is the podcast, you're going to hear us. Uh, in advance, we want to thank everybody who tweeted us, and we want to tell you that next week we have Daryl Run-DMC McDaniels, who's going to be on the air, interviewed by Rob Fusari. Uh, the following week is spring break, so enjoy yourselves in Fiji. And then after that, Mark Goodman, original MTV VJ, is going to be on the air, our guest. And then everything's okay now, Steve Marconi says. So it's good we have a uh, – he's one of our 3.2 million listeners. Without him, we're down to 3 one nine 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 nine. After that, we have uh, Kevin Erickson, Future of Music National Organizing Director, Tom Mullen of Sony Legacy, Mark Weiss, Rock and Roll Photographer, Jim Donio, President of the Music Business Association, Todd Horn, VP of International at ADA, and Melissa DeGeorge after that, who is uh, a big manager over at Cobalt. So we have labels, photography, trade organizations, distribution, publishing, radio, Artists, Aaron, we've got it all. Got it all. The only place to have it all. The only place to have it all is here at Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio 88.7. At this point, we're waiting for Del Ferrano to call. Is he on the air? At this point, Del Ferrano. Del, you're there. Del Ferrano, everybody. Del Ferrano, founder of Epic Rights. Del would not be late. I know it. (laughs) Now, I've been listening with great interest uh, to the last three or four minutes, and I'm very excited to be here. It is great to have you. Thank you so much. I'm Dave Philp, and then we have Aaron Van Dyne, who you know very well. And Aaron is actually going to start the third degree with you tonight. So thanks again for calling in, Dell. Well, uh, sounds De- good. I was telling Dave, Dell, that uh, Dave and I both co-teach a graduate course here at the university called Entrepreneurship in the Music and Entertainment Industry. And uh, I can't think of a better entrepreneur to speak with than you because you have – been an entrepreneur for many, many years and have reinvented yourself, gone in and added a business and, and back in. And and now we're, you know, besides being in the merchandise licensing business or in this, the restaurant business. So maybe you could just um, give us a little history for the for the listeners of your uh, background and how you started back years ago. I mean, I've been with known you for 25 years while I've been with KISS. You've been with them even longer because I think you went back to the Winterland days with them. That's uh, that's right. Well, thank you for the uh, the very kind words, Aaron and Dave. Nice to meet you. I'm very happy to be here. Um, 
I, I've just you know, considered myself one of the luckiest persons in the world. I've had absolutely a great career. I had the good fortune in life uh, to meet Bill Graham when he promoted uh, concerts at Stanford in, uh, in the early 70s. Uh, I was on my way to uh, law school, decided I'd take a year off, and uh, uh, you know, was able to get a job with him kind of at an entry level. Um, and uh, fortunately, I was at the right place at the right time, the early 70s in San Francisco, uh, coming out of Fillmore West. And as many of you may know, uh, Winterland Arena was um, a 5,000-seat facility. Uh, Fillmore West is 2,400 seats. Uh, uh, the music business, the concerts started getting bigger and bigger. And um, if you can imagine, you know, it was Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, uh, the Jefferson Airplane, the Grateful Dead every week almost, uh, David Bowie, Sex Pistols, Bruce Springsteen, who, during this whole period of the 70s, you know, act after act came through. And um, I've been doing the same thing um, from those early days that, I, that I'm uh, doing today, um, all primarily on the, uh, on the music side. Um, and through all the different incarnations, we started off, no one wanted to do merchandising. Aaron, can you believe that? It wasn't. I mean, this, this, um, you know, the San Francisco music scene was all spawned out of uh, Hate Ashbury. Uh, doing anything commercial was really frowned upon. Everyone was in music because they loved it. It was spontaneous, and it was uh, very community oriented. And um, you know, everything uh, back then it was, hey, geez, why don't we uh, uh, try selling some T-shirts at the concerts? Let's see what it's like. Um, and then. Uh, Oh, the manager, uh, the then manager of Pink Floyd came in, Dark Side of the Moon. I said, geez, how about we sell some T-shirts? He said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I went to Bill, and I said, what do you think? He said, why don't you go offer him $5,000 out of the box office? So I had no idea what I was doing. I went and said, geez, uh, how about if I give you $5,000? He was a tall, rather staid Englishman, and he thought about it for a moment. He said, sure, why not? And um, so... It's been a long path, and fortunately, it's continuing. Um, you know, through all the different incarnations. So, when Winterland ended, you you went out on your own, then, right? Yeah, Winterland. Um, you know, Bill Graham and I were partners on Winterland. Um, you know, starting in the you know mid seventies, we sold half of the business to uh, CBS Records in nineteen eighty five with. Aaron, of course, and Dave may know, a wild man of wild men, uh, Walter Yetnikoff. Mm. <laughs> um, and Walter was uh, uh, you know, notorious, uh, big partier, uh, um, you know, uh, profane, crazy, smart as a fox. And, um, uh, and you know, it was great. We were there three years, um, right as then... Uh, Irving Azoff from MCA Records, they used to call it the Music Cemetery of America. It was a, one of the slower labels back in those days. Uh, came to Bill and I and said, hey, why don't we buy the business back and uh, you guys move back to the West Coast and you'll be part of MCA. We're going to build a live entertainment division. So uh, Walter just finished his deal with uh, uh, Sony Music. He got paid a huge amount of money. Uh, when he got the money to go with the power, he really went crazy, Aaron, as you know. Um, and uh, fortunately, he, you know, uh, I'd used a longtime uh, well-known music attorney, Alan Grubman. Uh, Alan went into Walter and said, hey.
who wants to buy it, and Dell's happy. I'm sitting there nodding my head because there's going to be a lot more money for me. And um, so I switched to the West Coast. I had the good fortune at that time, uh, CBS, and a little bit of irony, had a very huge, huge kind of first boy band record with uh, New Kids on the Block. And so we ended up taking a, a, a CBS uh, recording artist and going to MCA Records. And, you know, we had a huge two- or three-year run. And if you, you know, follow boy bands or pop bands, uh, you have, as far as the merchandising goes, for maybe three, four years, it's just nonstop. It's great revenue at every level. But then your fans grow up. They become more sophisticated, or they move on to different types of music. So, um <clears throat> As the MCA, geez, Aaron, 1988, uh, Bill Graham, you know, sadly, sadly, and suddenly died in a, a helicopter accident in 1991. Um, MCA got purchased by a Sony competitor, a company um, out of Osaka called Matsushita. Uh, they own Panasonic. Uh, they were kind of famous for letting Sony develop the products and going and making them cheaper and more efficient. Um, and then when my contract came up, I was able to make a deal with with another group of characters, uh, Peter Goober, uh, Mickey Schulhoff, and Tommy Mottola. Hmm. Peter Goober was then the head of uh, Sony Pictures. Um, Tommy Mottola would replace Walter Yetnikoff, and uh, Mickey Schulhoff was in charge of all of them. So, you know, it was a great experience at Sony. Um, one of the highlights, you know, we had Michael Jackson was really big for us in those years. We had the Osborne Family TV show. Um, <clears throat> you know, Springsteen, Barbra Streisand, Journey, a lot, a lot of Sony music artists. Uh, we got lucky in 1984 and made a Madonna deal. We made a U2 deal. So, I mean, I was living the life. I mean, it was just, it's hard, even when I repeat it here. It's uh, it's hard to believe, you know, just uh, how how great it was. And then in um, my favorite year of all time, uh, you know, and, and uh, it was great doing the merchandising licensing for the film properties, uh, Men in Black, uh, oh, one of the first Marvel Spider-Man projects, and we did World Cup soccer in 1998 France, which fortunately the home team won. And my favorite year came around 1999, 1999. For those who lived in uh, the Bay Area and Silicon Valley, was the first huge boom year of, uh, you know, of uh, .com 101 or .com 1. And um, I was able to buy the business from Sony and turn around and sold it, 80% of it, to a very, very high-flying Internet incubator called CMGI out of Andover. They didn't come visit us. They did it all by email. Um it was, uh, and we made a deal with IMG. We were going to have music artists' websites. We were having model websites, athlete websites, taking the business online. Um, and that all worked great for six or seven months until April of 2000 when, uh, when the Internet stocks crashed for the first time. And um, I was able to buy the business back from CMGI and renamed it uh, Signatures Network, and that was the business that I, I sold in 2008 to uh, Michael Rapino and Michael Cole at Live Nation. Had five great years at Live Nation. Um, decided uh, when my contract was up, I was going to start Epic Rights, uh, um, and 
And so Epic Rights is, you know, just a different incarnation of kind of music licensing, marketing, branding, but very, you know, very technology-focused. And at the same time, uh, with your clients, Eric, uh, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons, we brought on as brand ambassadors for Rock and Brews, which is a, you know, a restaurant chain concept that uh, pays homage and respect to great concert performers. So it's all, all been great. That sounds wonderful. Give us a little uh, taste of what the merchandise landscape is today for musical artists. The, um, the uh, you know, there's four or five major companies. Um, um, you know, I competed against Bravado for uh, many, many years, um, and then they got purchased by Universal Music maybe uh, um, oh, 10 years ago. And Bravado in the last 10 years with Universal Music has just grown its market share, I don't know, to 45% of the market, um, really, really stepped up the competition. And, and suddenly the merchandise, I mean, the, the, the merchandise sales, you know, the Kiss concerts and U2 concerts were always huge merchandise sales. When the Taylor Swifts and the Selena Gomez's and the Drake's and uh, the Kanye West, uh, you know, became arena headliners, where we are grossing $150,000, $200,000 a night at the Meadowlands or the Garden, um, you know, or uh, different facilities, you know, arenas, the Spectrum and places like that. This new wave of pop artists, hip-hop artists came, and the grosses went to three fifty, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 a night. Just a night. Staggering, staggering. That's, that's $400,000 in a four-hour window from the door open until, you know, the headliner walks off. So what was that per head at that? Oh, the um, the Kanye West and Drake heads and the Justin Bieber uh, per heads, twenty, twenty-five, thirty dollars. I mean, uh, um, and you know, um, One Direction just you know just took it to whole different levels. So um, it's uh, you know, if like anything else, if you pick the right artist and you become a part of that ride, it's uh, it's a great experience. You make a lot of money. It's hard to pick the right artist, and of course, there's a lot of competition, putting up a lot of big dollars. And but the, the merchandise <laughs> business is stronger than it's ever been. The, the rock shirt, the concert shirt's an absolute staple part of the concert experience. So the, the bands are still making money, or maybe even more so today with merchandise than they ever did. Correct? Yeah, they're making more from their merchandise than they ever did, and, and of course, they're making. You know, Live Nation just uh, announced last week their full-year results for 2016. Um, there was a sixth year in a row of record uh, uh, attendance, record revenue, record profits, all genres of music, country, rap, alternative, rock, um, all facilities, arenas, stadiums, amphitheaters. Um, and so and it's become much more... Uh, of a global business, uh, you know, you know from our Kiss experience, you can't tour North America and Europe every year, and now artists can tour starting in South Korea, then Japan, then Hong Kong. Um, Coldplay has been going through that stretch here recently, as has Metallica, and also now in China. So it's become a global business, which has been, you know, greatly uh, uh, driven by, you know, um, iTunes and Spotify. So. Uh, it's uh, it keeps changing and it keeps getting more exciting. And uh, if uh, you'll recall this, because you were part of it, 
that Kiss holds the, the, I believe, the world record for the most merchandise ever sold in one night at the Tokyo Dome. Uh, I think it was $1.2 million. Yes, Kiss is uh, an absolute phenomenon in uh, in Japan. And actually, we've gone back, because if you go, Kiss in itself is, is uh, you know, people don't realize it. They Kiss, uh, first of all, back in the mid-'70s for... Gene and Paul to take this whole different approach rather than kind of the, oh, the, the hippie band, so to speak, of that time. And they said, well, we want to be noticed. We're going to be wild as can be. We're going to be outrageous as can be. Uh, we're going to engage the fan. We're not going to turn our backs. I mean, not turn our backs, but many of the, many of the bands back then were jam bands and, and so forth. And, um, you know, they started out as a novelty. Now, today, you know, Forty-five years later, they're looked upon appropriately as one of the most, the smartest marketers, you know. And it's, it's, you know, it's, and it's both Gene and Paul, right? You know, it, it's, 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 uh, uh, you know, Gene gets a lot of attention. Paul is a, a little bit uh, less outspoken, but uh, great, great feeling towards the fans and giving value, um, um, and. You know, continue. And when we went back, we started going back a few times because Kiss had the first wave of huge merchandise in the mid '70s with their their Marvel comic books, their uh, the pin, stern pinball games, um, and then of course, you know, they they had the decline. They resurrected themselves for the uh, you know MTV as a hair band mm-hmm. and had a second great run of the basis, and then you know did the reunion with the original band members and. Now have uh, you know a, a great core with Tommy Thayer and Eric Cross. So, Kiss has probably sold more merchandise. We are adding. We're trying to add it up one day. That we started thinking we must have sold four million shirts from you know the mid seventies up until recently. <laughs> so, um, you look out there. There's a sea of shirts, but it's not only Kiss. It's Bruce Springsteen. It's it's and one of the things of going to a concert today. Right. Is seeing all the shirts over all the years, and I embarrass my wife sometimes. And I'll see someone wearing a Journey shirt from the Blythdale Arena in Honolulu, and I go, up, "Hey, can I look at your label? Were you there?" And my wife says, "Geez, why are you doing that?" <laughs> um, an- another big part of the uh, artist uh, world today, and I know you handle this too, so you might want to just mention or, or explain it to the uh, listeners is what they call meet and greets. Yeah, the um, the meet and greet and VIP ticketing business um, has uh, had its own very interesting history. Um, you know, for a long time, there was kind of this shadowy, shadowy uh, secondary market, you know, of uh, in the bigger markets, New York in particular, Las Vegas, Chicago, um, of what we truly called and referred to as scalping tickets. And um, <clears throat> and there were rumors that managers engaged, all kinds of rumors in the industry. But no one ever knew how big the business was, and we all knew it was there. But again, uh, back as the Internet started to take hold in 2000 was the first time that the scalpers, then moving on with a new name, brokers, uh, started putting the tickets uh, up on the Internet. And so if Madonna's 2001, you know, uh, oh, Drowned World Tour, her top ticket price is $125, and suddenly we could see all around it, you know, uh, 
the brokers were selling, you know, the seats right next door for $425, $450. And artists, you know, have always wanted to keep their ticket prices low and reasonable to engage their fan. But then when they saw, geez, you know, other people ripping them off, and the brokers, they'd buy them from the limo drivers. They, 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 they would bribe the box offices. They would do, they would work their way into the system because there was simply so much money. But when it became apparent, then we started developing. And again, Kiss was one of the first to do meet and greets and get your photo, um, get get a better seat. Um, that really accelerated dramatically with the growth of uh, social media and, and the smartphone because everyone wants their bragging rights. And, uh, so, <clears throat> oh, not every band will do meet and greets. A lot of them do, but they all do VIP ticketing. They all do different forms. On Tom Petty, we're doing VIP ticketing. Tom doesn't want to call it VIP ticketing, so we call it premium ticketing. So... Um, and yeah, you know, that you can't. If you go look at the Bon Jovi, if you go into Ticketmaster and you look at the Bon Jovi tour, there's probably ten different packages. If you want to pay enough money, you can ride in the plane, you can sit on stage, you can probably go right with him in the studio. So it's it's become very experiential, and a big source of revenue, and also a significant source of revenue for emerging bands. Mm-hmm. They price it a little bit more, you know, uh, more reasonable. Um, yeah, huge, huge part of the business. And, and it definitely builds a very strong fan base. Strong fan base, uh, your core fans. And there's just there's just a market out there that, uh, and it's a raging debate in the industry still today. How do you price your tickets? Um, you know, and the more you underprice the tickets, uh, the, the bigger the secondary market, then you got the bots, um, some groups... Some artists like Adele, and I think it was an artist, Eric Church, that canceled 25,000 yes. tickets. Um, and there's a little bit of irony in it. And I totally, you know, our business has always been artist-focused. Our contracts are with the artists. They don't go through the record labels. They don't go through the talent agencies. So we're very artist-friendly. We do what the artist wants to do. But in the end, whether it's the promoter or us, we want to sell tickets. So if, you know... Some artists are very adamant. Uh, we want to use, uh, you know, uh, oh, different different methods of so you can't transfer the tickets, and that has, you know, positives, but also has a lot of negatives because you don't get the tickets. You have to can't transfer them. I went to see a Cat Stevens concert, and you know, I wanted to give the tickets to a friend, and I had to go down to the Nokia Theater in Los Angeles and stand there and explain to the person, physically give the tickets to my friend that I bought for it. So, um, you know, a lot, lot of debate on the ticketing, uh, the whole pre-sale model, public on sale. So, Yeah. Um, Dell, how do you market the VIP packages? Do you have a, uh, like a massive database, or are you working with Ticketmaster sometimes? Yeah, you, you, you work most of the sales are via Ticketmaster. Mm-hmm. So Ticketmaster, you know, has the master database, has huge, huge traffic. Um, and, and what you do, uh, huge negotiation for the allocation of the tickets to the, lo- the, lo- the uh, locations. Um, doesn't matter if it's Zach Brown, doesn't matter if it's Kiss, Billy Idol. Um, you know, we're, we working under the auspices and with the manager, get to, get to the manager, you know, to the agent, 
and you because know, you have you have uh, Ticketmaster, you have Live Nation Platinum tickets, which is total dynamic pricing. Um, then you have fan clubs, you have VIP tickets, you have the bands holds, you have the uh, arena holds. There are a lot of packages. The net effect, unfortunately, is you really have to understand how the pre-sale uh, program works because after three or four days of uh, pre-sales, by the time of the public on sale, all the good tickets are gone. And I tell people all the time, best way to do it, if you want to get a Dell ticket, the people that got the most of Dell tickets are the ones who joined their fan club. Mm-hmm. And paying $50 to have the right to go in the pre-sale and get better tickets is one of the best bargains. I know that sounds like a sales pitch, Aaron. But it's it's the truth. I, I know you know I work with Dave Matthews, and that's the uh, model of the Dave Matthews band. Uh, and then, and, and, members of the fan club get uh, to get to some of the what they call the free concerts, like they did out in the Golden Gate Bridge, but also fifty uh, percent or forty five percent, something like that, of all the tickets go to the fan club first. Yeah, and, and Dave has really pioneered that with uh, Dave Matthews, Pearl Jam, Metallica. Um, we've done it with U2 and Aerosmith, um, where you have a, uh, a priority system and you give uh, uh, your fan club members um, uh, the option to get the best tickets first. So if you've been a part of the 10 Club with Pearl Jam or the Dave Matthews Club, you get a lot of special benefits. And, and uh, artists like that that really focus on giving their fans benefit and value really really you know build a loyal fan base Dale, okay one thing i'm i'm i guess a little confused in is is how this still with the vip packaging part how it all works out because for example we had tom hefter i don't know if you know tom or not he's a director of um i think like vip packaging and things like that for for Ticketmaster. he went here at william patterson um right so I, so I know Tom's job, one of his jobs is to put together VIP packages at Ticketmaster. Um, we have friends at the Warner, Warner Music Artist Services, and they're actively putting together VIP packages for, for either Warner artists or artists who are working, contracting specifically for Warner Artist Music Artist Services. Is the same thing for you? Are certain bands who are, I guess maybe, let me step back, is your pitch to bands to to work with epic rights is it we can do your merch we can do your vip we can do your merchandising and your branding is it all together in one place that's why you need to work with our, us our exactly our pitch today whether it's the celine dion whether it's the billy joel um aerosmith kiss recently again with zach brown is we start off um most of the bands understand long-term value uh, of building their relationship with their fans, that it is good business in addition to everything else. So we come in, a lot of bands, especially legacy artists, they have not kept abreast of the evolving way fans access their websites and social media. So we come in and we've been building and developing websites for now all the way back to 2001, 2002, so it's been 14 or 15 years. And it keeps evolving. So we come in and say, you know that your website and your social media is very important, but it's much more important than you think. We will come in. We'll redesign it. The way that many of the sites are designed, people don't click into to websites anymore. Seventy percent are accessing through their smartphone. No one cares about your discography. Look at your bounce rates in terms of who comes to the home page and who leaves. 
We come in, teach them, you know, we're going to rebuild this site for you and make it uh, up to, you know, consistent with today's best practices. We're also going to run your social media. We're going to give you uh, metrics to show you how we're building fan engagement. Nope, your social media and content management is not done by secretaries. It's not done by uh, friends of the band. The marks become much more sophisticated. We work with maybe four or five different uh, uh, digital you know, content management companies that we'll hire for CBGB, we'll hire for KISS, we'll hire for Aerosmith. And what we, what we do then, and so we start there and we give the band the metrics because when you have an active website and social media that's really consistent, that drives your businesses across the board in all areas, your ticket sales, your uh, the broader uh, reach of your music, uh, your sponsorships, your endorsements, your uh, fashion licensing, your music publishing, all the way to your merchandise. So it actually so, sells records too, then. Well, yeah. Well, that's well. What's what's better than taking your core fans mm-hmm. and getting them to embrace your new music and telling all their friends? So you don't have to. Sure, you're going to do the Jimmy Fallon show. You're going to do all your major promotional things. But in today's world, with the apps now that are being developed, Katy Perry can speak directly to, you know, 5 million fans before she releases her single and talking to them, you know, on, on, on streaming basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, to what inspired me for the music? Why I did this? Why I'm releasing it tomorrow? So the artist has a vehicle. They own it all. They own all the uh, uh, channel. We just show them how to best maximize it. Then we take a one step forward. In addition, we're going to digitally archive all your photos, all your artwork, all your designs, all your logos. We're going to clear all your artwork because if you put photos out today that the art that does not own the the uh, there's just so many photographers that uh, will come and sue you and, and you know they have the statutes on their side. They get attorney fees if you're yeah. wrong. As we know and, from the kids world, right? Yeah, well, as I know from ten other sets of circumstances. <laughs> So um, that is that is our pitch. Because the other thing is, you can't get any of the materials from the record companies anymore. You know, no one knows who owns it, and the ones that are there, the record companies that will provide it to you now say, hey, "Hey, we don't know. We just we we license it as for a record." So the digital archiving of all their assets, we advise them on their trademark registration, which has become a very huge issue. So it's artist services. Build your brand, and in return for that, we say we want to do your concert merchandising. We have a huge retail licensing uh, division, uh, as you know, with Kiss, which is, you know, Kiss, we have, I think, over 300 licensees and so many different products that Gene Simmons can't even count them all anymore. Um, and same with ACDC, same with the Stones, and it's, it's ACDC tequila, it's uh, Kiss credit cards, it's Kiss emojis, it's uh, um, John Lennon eyeglasses. It's uh, uh, Honer harmonicas for, you know, Billy Joel. Um, it's kind of, it's extended. It's slot machines, social gaming. It's, it's pretty wild. Very, very exciting. All, um, you know, kind of additional revenue and all part of, you know, building your brand. So it started off as uh, tickets, uh, T-shirts and caps, has now grown into this major licensing 
uh, all around fan club branding, more branding than anything else is, is what you're doing for an artist. Yeah, like. we really maximizing revenue streams and, and branding. Okay. You know, it's, it's, uh, that, that's, you know, giving value to your fans, building the fan base and generating revenue streams and incremental revenue. Every artist, Aaron, you know this better than most. Yeah, they can only tour for so long, you know. <laughs> well, you know, they, I'm I wondering mean, about some of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, the Stones. What do they have? They have probably each band member has three, four hundred million. Maybe Mick can keep more, seven hundred million dollars of personal wealth. And what are they doing? They're still out there touring. <laughs> Why? First of all, they love it. They love it. Second of all, they make a ton of money. Yeah. And uh, and but they're all thinking about their heirs, their children, you know, building their base. And we've all seen going back to uh, you know to Marilyn Monroe and to you know uh, the Beatles and you know how that these uh, franchises in the sixties and Elvis, of course, is you know one of the primary examples. How you know it. Uh, Keeps generating revenue for years and years and years to come. Poor, poor Elvis makes more money now than he did when he was alive. I know, isn't that? I sometimes kid Gene, be careful. <laughs> I'll make a lot of money if you die. Uh, we have some uh, tweets that came in from students for questions. Dave will read them off to you and appreciate yes, you answering them. Yes, uh, this is from Bianca Russo, at Bianca Russo 25. Do you think there's ever a time when an artist shouldn't, should not brand themselves or license out? For example, KISS has an endless amount of stuff associated with their brand. Is there ever a time it becomes too much or, uh, or is it always the more the better? It's never the more the better. Mm -hmm. And e each artist... Um, uh, really need to determine that themselves. It's, it's really a part of, it's really an extension of their music and their persona. A lot of artists keep it very, very simple. Don't want, a lot of the things and types of, I just mentioned to you kind of the product categories, the artists that, that focus in that. Mm -hmm. But there's kind of, there's also the artists, the Eric Clapton's, the Bruce Springsteen's. Yeah, they'll do retail, but just, just the basic t-shirts. They're not endorsing spirits. They don't want to do gaming. And, um, yeah, uh, there, there's a lot of artists that, uh, hey, this is what, how I want to relate to my fans. A lot of artists keep their uh, pricing on their tickets and their merchandise lower. And, frankly, if I was a, uh, an artist that was uh, building a fan base, you know, I, I would keep my prices of my merchandise uh, lower. But you know what? The difference is if you're an artist in your 60s versus an artist in your 20s. And when you're an artist in your 20s and 30s and you're looking at an Adele career that's going to last 30 years, you do it one way. Value, you don't take all the money. Hey, you know, when you start becoming 50, 55, you've been through your second divorce, you're buying your parents all a home, you got kids in college. All right, I'll charge $40 for my shirt. Interesting. Uh, the Real Muna A asks this. The CEO of Pledge Music, Dominic Pendicia, uh, he was in actually last night in here at William Patterson speaking, and he said his best-selling merch on Pledge Music is patches. Do you have much uh, experience selling patches now? Is that working for you? Well, yeah, yeah, you know, patches are patches are very popular, um, 
but the it is it's the T-shirt. It is the it is the iPhone of the uh, hmm. of the business. And people say to me all the time, "Well, what's different from merchandising in the beginning and in today in constant merchandising?" And I'd say my answer is remarkably little. Hmm. Um, it's still the album cover. It's still the itinerary. Everyone wants to know that there's cities on there. It's still I was there so I can show my friends. And it's the, the ad mat. And, yeah, what's different? There's more shirt styles to select from, and the sizes have all got bigger. And it doesn't matter if you're Barbra Streisand or you're Taylor Swift. It is all in that general area of shirts. It's shirts you can wear jogging, going to school, and it's just a part of our culture. And you make, hey, top uh, headline artist, uh, when they're selling a $40 shirt, yeah, they're making... Sixteen twenty dollars each, you know. And the event shirt is a big item, right? The, everyone wants to know that I went to the mm-hmm. this, you know, Kiss Creatures of the Night tour. Or I went to uh, I went to the first Joshua Tree tour, or I went to Bruce Springsteen Born in the USA. Um, so you know, each tour, and also for us baby boomers, just memories. Hey, what were what were we doing in high school? What were we doing in college? Who were we with? You know, and you know, we still listen to the music that uh, we grew up with. Fortunately, our kids like it now too. Do you consider CDs merch? Um, we 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 sell a lot of CDs still on a lot of tours. We sell a lot of music still on on tours, and um, yeah, I, I I consider it merch. It's kind of you know, you, you go back and you're dealing with business managers such as Aaron. If you sell a $40 T-shirt, let's round it up, you make $20. You sell a $15 CD, you make $2. Well, do you want to sit there and cannibalize, uh, have people buying that, paying you $2 for the, the CD, or do you want the $20 on the shirt? So there's, there's a whole, and yeah, patches are nice small they're five dollars each people will buy a patch put it on their jacket then they don't buy a shirt that's kind of the, the kind of the real business side on the other side of things on the other hand hey nothing's greater than seeing uh an acdc denim jacket with 100 different acdc patches so it cuts a lot of different ways Interesting. Uh, I have a specific question for you. Is that all right, Aaron? Sure. Okay. Uh, I'm actually working on a project here, uh, uh, presenting it to a, a music business educators conference in Chicago in March. And uh, I'm polling people like yourself. Aaron already answered it. And, and it's one question about artist managers, and I know you deal with artist management quite a bit. And curious what your answer is to this one question. May I ask it of you, Dale? Of course. Okay. What is the single most important aspect of the music industry an artist manager needs to understand? Uh, an artist manager has to absolutely understand every single aspect of the music industry, and he has to be an expert. He has to songwriters, producers, lighting, show, concert promoters, agents, um, he has to understand every single component. He has to have the highest level of expertise, and he has to have relationships. And he should probably read the Dell Carnegie book 
on how to uh, make friends and uh, or how to influence people and make friends. Hmm. Good answer. Okay. Um, you touched on licensing, and I know licensing is a big part um, of your business, and it's a big part of a lot of the artists' business. Uh, years ago, when and there's still artists that I work with that don't want to have anything to do with licensing their image, name, and likeness or anything out, but there are artists today that do. That is a very big part of the artist world today, correct? Yeah, the um, kind of the classic vintage rock shirts, are stronger and hotter today than they've ever been at retail. And remember, sometimes, Aaron, the, the term licensing is confusing to people. Is it sync licensing? Is it music licensing? When we talk licensing, of course, licensing is a tool to sell product at retail. And where we grant, as you know, we grant the right to a, a third-party manufacturer who pays in advance and guarantees and then royalty rates, and that manufacturer turns around and sells to Hot Topic or sells to Bloomingdale's. Yes, a um, lot of artists are, you know, don't want to do it, or they just want to do the T-shirts and the basics, okay? And, but then some, some will do cannabis, some will do spirits, kind of all over. Some will do, uh, you know, uh, adult products. It's kind of wild, broad, broad spectrum. A lot of artists, though, you know, you have a lot of artists that are, hey, Eric Clapton, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to put his picture on his shirt, you know? Look, looking at your artist roster, it's awesome, and it's very much, uh, I guess you would say, rock-based, classic rock-based. Um, and, and there's some pop, like, you know, it's like, like Wham, for example. Um, but uh, I, I'm thinking because uh, we have a tweet from somebody and here at William Patterson, we have a huge, pretty awesome jazz program. And um, this uh, Florian at Flow underscore, underscore Klinger, who is a jazz musician, wants to know, Mr. Ferrano, what is your suggestion on when a band or artist should start selling merch? Because I know there are a decent number of, on the jazz side, artists who don't want to sell merch because they feel it may... I don't want to say cheapen the brand, but it might not. It might take away from the music. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, first of all, um, you know, your your merch is tied to the demographic of your audience, and you have a more, you know, jazz fans have never been big traditional merchandise buyers, never, you know, um, uh, and so yeah, I, I think you have to keep that. I mean, it, it's everyone knows with new bands that merchandise is a way. Have you ever seen how bands who, the group that Doc manages, Vintage Trouble, they've been on the road, I don't know, Aaron, for three years, you know, mm-hmm. two to a hotel room. Um, you know, I took them out to dinner with Doc in Switzerland at the ACDC concert, and it was like the guys, they were the homeless. I mean, <laughs> dinner ended up costing me $500 because they ordered three main courses each. <laughs> My point being that it's, it's a lot of hard work, and the people that, the people that go on the road in the beginning, they really pay their dues. So selling merch is really an accepted part with their fans. It's not considered selling out. A lot of them, you know, lots of times the band members will come up after the show. Um, they'll sign the shirts. They'll come up and talk to you. So um, it's selling shirts It's not considered a, uh, you know, uh, a sellout in today's It was back in the early 70s when I started. Right. 
I find with some jazz artists that, that we don't handle a lot of them because most of them don't make enough money to hire business managers, but we do have some. <laughs> and one of the things they do is sell their own CDs at, at their shows. And, and, and I always recommend to them, autograph them, because then you can get more than just, you know, the value of the CD. So that's something yeah. that most yeah, of Yeah, I, I think that's a good idea. I see that uh, Chris Isaac goes out and does it every night. Other bands I see go out and do it. They'll autograph their CDs, engage their fans. And, you know, a lot depends on hey, kind of their individual point of view. Uh, a couple more questions. We have about five minutes left. Uh, at Jay Saddle wants to know, how do I make my merch more iconic and how do I make it stand out more? Um, this is from a, D, D, from a DIY perspective, too. Yeah, great, great question. Um, there's, you know, go to Hot Topic and look at, uh, you know, look at all the different shirt designs. Go to Amazon, type in any of your favorite group and shirts and you'll see so many different designs i think what stands out the most is a one color oversized print with a very light ink pass um it's just it, it has kind of its cachet uh remember when you're at you're at a concert you got to get everyone's attention subtlety doesn't sell much at concerts okay so yeah some some you know Radiohead did this really great you know off kind of tie-dye blue shirt with you know, small, kind of, uh, not small, indistinguishable, almost indistinguishable, raised lettering. It was a huge hit. Most of the time, the merch is big and got to get your attention. And I, I really think photographs that have different photo treatments, dot patterns, half tones, um, you know, a light ink pass, uh, really, really, really popular. You have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, next next uh, question. Uh, and this is, I think, because students always want to go into A&R. You know, A&R, A&R, A&R. Um, but I, I think they're always sticking label, record label. And when we look at what you're doing, um, you have somebody in A&R. So can you kind of explain from your perspective what A&R is? Well, you know, we look at... Um Hey, when we're talking to an artist or, or watching an artist, uh, we want to know who the manager is, who the attorney is, who the agent is. We want to see the team. You know, and if they're getting an A-team behind them, that's positive. We listen to the music. We go to the concerts. Now, today, you can track so many things online and their, their engagement. There's from the easy and obvious uh, Spotify to other, uh, other tools that really track, uh, uh, you know, fan engagement. Um, so that that's and then we look and say, okay, if this artist is successful, how much merchandise will his crowd buy? And the best-selling uh, audience are pop and hip-hop artists. You know, if you want to, if you that's that's you know, it uh, every couple of years, a Justin Bieber breaks out in that area, or Shawn Mendes, and, and the the money's really big. And you're actively going after those people. And you mentioned earlier, I think you said there's a lot of money involved and there's a lot of competition for those. Yeah, because all the everyone wants to sign the next Justin Bieber. And and for everyone you sign, there's 20 others that were promising that you paid a huge amount of money that just didn't make it. Didn't make it, right? Okay. Oh, that, By the way, that's the way across the board: ticket sales, record sales, and the like. 
Okay, about two minutes left. Just real quick, if you can speak quickly about just a, a, a typical deal when you sign a deal with an artist. Is it usually just for a tour? Is it for a, a length of time, like a, a year? Um, are there returns? What about unsold merchandise and cutouts and things like that? How is that all of that? Uh, generally, it's heavily negotiated. Depends how much money you pay. Um, we like, you know, on a headliner, uh, we want it to be two or three years. Uh, the artist and manager want to keep it shorter. We want to keep it longer. Um, there are buyout clauses, which are real common. Hey, uh, artist, we'll, we'll pay you $100,000. We want a two-year recoupment deal, meaning that uh, we'll pay you a 25% royalty. And uh, but if we don't recoup the money, the 20, you know, the $100,000 in two years, uh, you have the option to pay us back, go make a new deal with us or someone else, or we continue to sell until we earn our money back. Um, and you know, some are handshake deals, but, you know, a lot of big deals you're paying money. They're, they're two, three years. You know, we, if I, if, I mean, I want two complete albatouring cycles. Interesting. Okay. We need to wrap it up. Dell, I want to thank you so much for doing this. I think it was very interesting and, and very insightful for uh, our student body that's listening to this and all the other listeners. So uh, I know you're a busy man. and. Uh, and I appreciate I'll always, it. always like to share, you know, our experience. I'm sure, just like the two of you. Yes, it's awesome. So it was really great to have you, and I'm looking forward to hearing the podcast so we can listen back again because you actually you said some great stuff in there. So it's much appreciated. All right, uh, good talking to everyone. You too. Right. Thank good, you, Del. Good night, Del. That Bye -bye. was Del Ferrano. Del Ferrano making things happen at Epic Rights. And Aaron Van Dyne's making things happen on this radio show. Thank you, Aaron, for being here. And you killed it tonight, Aaron. It. Well, I knew the topic pretty well. Yeah, you were there. I've known him so many years. He's he's magnificent person uh, at what he does. Mm -hmm. he, he makes money for people. That's great. As do you. I try to. There we go. Yeah. I've never made money for anybody. But I make love, not war. So speaking of that, thank you again, Aaron Van Dyne, for being here tonight. Thank you, Ashley Weltner, for engineering, producing, and being the person that you are. Good job. And we want to thank everybody for listening to Music Biz 101 and more on WP 88.7, which is also Brave New Radio, the only radio station on the campus of William Patterson University. Listen next week. The goal is to have Daryl DMC McDaniels interviewed by Rob Fusari. That is the goal. Um, I'm hoping we get them both on here. And until then, we're not going to say hello to you because that would be silly because the show's over. So instead of saying hello, at this point, we are going to say hello. I can't remember when you looked at me and cried, said something broke inside. Come away, you know.